Hello and welcome to the Feel It to Heal It podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Kelly, and I am a clinically trained therapist, emotional wellness and life coach, and healer. My mission is to help as many humans as possible feel safe to feel their feelings in order to create a life beyond their wildest dreams. Thank you for being here and let's dive in. Hello and good morning to morning morning tea live with me. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Grab a moment to grab some tea, get cozy, and we're going to be diving into healing anxious attachment around sickness, medical trauma. This is not only for my fellow medical trauma survivors, but also for anyone that get sick, which is everyone because we're human and learning to feel safe, to rest and to honor what your body's needing and to listen to what your body's needing. So I'll give you guys a moment to join and hop on. Let me know where you're tuning in from. Good morning. Thank you for joining. Cheers to being here today. I didn't make it to morning tea last week, so I'm very excited to get back to it today. All right, let's get started with a little grounding. So get comfy wherever you are. Just start to take a deep breath in. Maybe putting your hands on your legs, just grounding down a little bit. And just noticing any sounds or distractions in your environment. Noticing any thoughts coming up. And just imagine placing each thought on a cloud in the sky or a leaf in the stream, whatever resonates most. Watching it float away, knowing you can always come back to it if you need to. And refocusing on your breath. And then bringing your awareness into your body, just noticing any body sensations, any areas of tension or tightness, doing a quick body scan, relaxing your brow line, your jaw, your shoulders, your heart, your chest, your abdomen, the base of your spine. Noticing any tension in your legs or toes or fingers or arms. And sending an intentional breath into any part of the body that needs it most right now. And then noticing any emotions, any stuck, stored, old or stagnant emotion that needs to come up or any new or raw emotion. Allowing space for any feelings to come to the surface, knowing that your feelings are valid and make sense and that you are safe to feel however you may be feeling in this present moment. And then noticing any resistance, any resistance to feeling those feelings or to being in your body. Any resistance with thoughts, just thoughts taking over, just deepening your breath to get back into your body. Noticing any urges to avoid or numb or distract or move or fidget, 
And just continuing to deepen your breath to show your body you're safe to just be in stillness in this moment. And now together, let's take three long deep breaths. So placing your hands on your heart, breathing all the way into your body, holding the breath at the top and slowly release. And again, breathing all the way in, holding at the top and release. And one more, breathing all the way in. Hold and release. Just noticing how your breath is feeling in this moment. Noticing if anything has shifted or softened or changed. Noticing if anything new has shown up and knowing you are safe to be with it. Knowing you always have your breath to come home to. And whenever you're ready, start to take any small organic movement, maybe some neck rolls or some side stretches, whatever your body's needing most. Maybe some wrist circles. <sighs> Just noticing how your body's feeling. And whenever you're ready, you can come back to the present moment. Okay, so let's dive in. So this is a little bit of a continuation off of the reel that I posted last night talking about my experience with getting triggered with medical trauma. And again, you don't have to have experienced medical trauma to relate to this. I think this goes really hand in hand with the different ways that anxious attachment shows up in very sneaky, subtle ways and how we choose to relate to it how we choose to relate to what our body is communicating and needing. And so this doesn't just go hand in hand with sickness. It goes hand in hand with just when we're needing rest or when we're needing food or sleep or socialization or time alone or anything like that. But I will be sharing a little bit, you know, through the lens of the medical trauma, um, because I know a lot of my community on here follows me because they relate to both pieces of the anxious attachment and the medical trauma and how those two go hand in hand. So a little bit of context. So yesterday I woke up feeling a little bit under the weather, a little bit sore throat, just kind of fatigue, just run down. And, you know, this past week and I had a friend visit and we were, you know, just so busy having fun and connecting and just in that go, go, go mode. And Normally when I have a visitor and they leave, the first thing I would want to do if I'm feeling at all tired or, you know, back in the day it was hungover, not really much anymore these days. Um, I would just want to like order food and watch TV. That was like my comfort zone, my safety zone. And for those of you who are new here, I have given up TV for the second time, <laughs> Um, I'm about six weeks in at this point and I've done farther stretches in the past and then kind of had a relapse. So now we're starting over again. We're just continuing. 
So since I'm not doing that anymore, I was really intentional about resting after my friend had left on Sunday and just taking naps, hydrating, you know, doing my MCJ, just really like taking it easy, having a truly lazy Sunday. And then when I woke up Monday feeling just like still tired, I noticed that there was this resistance. There was like this annoyance and I'm like, oh, I did all the things I was supposed to do yesterday. So why am I still feeling like this? And there was part of me that just wanted to pretend I wasn't feeling that way. So, you know, I'd been on a good routine with going to the gym in the mornings and I was like, oh, I just want to get up and go to the gym. But like my body's like fighting. It's like, no, you need to go back to sleep. So essentially I went back to sleep. I honored that I didn't go to the gym. I took it really easy that day. And then I knew that it was a busy day. And that Tuesday yesterday, I would have more space to rest. And I had already planned with my friend to have kind of like a work party day. We were going to go to the gym, go to a cafe, get some work done, And in the morning I could just feel, I'm like, I'm feeling run down, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? Do I cancel? Do I go? Am I actually feeling sick? Is it just anxiety around feeling sick? Sometimes it can feel very confusing. Um, So essentially I was starting to get in that rabbit hole where I was like, I don't know if I'm actually sick or not, because a lot of these things can be psychosomatic, especially for those of us that have deep fear around getting sick. So I was like, I don't know if this is psychosomatic. I don't know if this is just anxiety. I don't know what my body's needing. Sometimes it has been really healing and reparative for me to continue about my day not in the way I used to, the way that I used to do this is when I would get sick, I would be in full avoidance denial mode that I would just keep going, keep going, keep going. So I'd show up to work with a fever. Like I would, you know, I literally showed up to school. I remember this having vivid memories of like going to school and taking chemistry tests with a fever. Like there was such deep denial about being sick because one, I had a lot of shame around it. I made it mean something about me like, oh, I'm the girl that always gets sick or, oh, I have to miss out on work or school again because I'm sick. It made me worry about, you know, people judging me like, oh, am I not taking good enough care of myself? You know, are we really going to be able to trust her as an employee if she's always calling out? You know, we don't live in a world that really reinforces taking care of ourselves and, (laughs) I'm just laughing because it's like the complete opposite. Like we're like, oh, it's fine. Just go to work. You're sick. It's fine. Like just show up anyway. Oh, I don't have any sick days left. Like we don't actually reinforce taking care of ourselves. That's never been the norm. And so when this shows up for me, there's still a lot of historical shame and fear that goes around it. Like, what is my boss going to say? Are they going to give me shit? Is it going to cause more problems and rescheduling clients? Like there's this whole domino effect of pressure. And so this is all historical and it all lives in my body. And so when this shows up in the present, 
it's my opportunity to relate differently. So in the past, I would just deny, deny, avoid, avoid until my body was screaming at me until I was like full blown sick where I could not function. Now, the way in which I'm relating differently is I notice, okay, I'm feeling a little bit run down. I'm feeling like I'm on the verge of something. I don't have to make that mean anything about me. And This can be a reparative experience for little me, knowing that it's okay to not feel well sometimes. It doesn't have to mean that I'm dying. It doesn't have to mean that I am not doing a good job taking care of myself. It doesn't have to mean that it's going to get way worse because that's always the fear that comes up for me. And I know exactly where this comes from. I know it cognitively. I know that rationally and cognitively, It comes from when I was younger, I would get really high fevers. And so what started as a little sore throat or a little fatigue or a little rundown, my body would like overreact and it would blow out of proportion. And I would get really sick, like really high fevers, like knocked out for at least a week. And it was incredibly triggering of when I got my 108 fever and literally almost died. And so my body, as soon as it registers any signs of like, you could be getting a fever, it thinks that it's back in that time when it almost died and it feels terrifying. And so I've worked through a lot of this in processing my medical trauma, really relating differently to my sickness. Sickness used to be a way that subconsciously I got a lot of my needs met. And so now I've had to almost like break up with sickness, if you will. I literally wrote it a breakup letter that's completely real (laughs) and has been a very real part of my journey where I've had to tell sickness, like speak to it as if it were a person like, thank you. Thank you for helping me get my needs met. Thank you for protecting me. Thank you for, you know, allowing little me to get the emotional attunement that she needed. And I no longer need you to feel safe. I am now adult me. I can attune to little me. I have safe nervous systems that I co-regulate with and I no longer need you. And I literally broke up with it. And it was a painful breakup because it's something that my body has known for my entire life as a way of getting needs met, as a way of safety, as a way of, oh, I need to rest and I'm feeling overwhelmed with life. I can just get sick and call out and just like escape life for a while. And I had to really look at honestly, why did I want to escape life? What kind of life was I living where it felt more enjoyable to be able to call out of work sick and binge watch TV all day and eat crap food all day than to actually be healthy enough to live my life? And I realized, I mean, a combination of things, but first and foremost, again, going back to how we as a society relate to sickness and relate to health, we don't allow ourselves to just rest, to take a day off without needing to be sick. We don't allow ourselves to just say, hey, I'm going to, you know, take a nap at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. I mean, if you're working a nine to five, that might be hard, but for my fellow entrepreneurs, like, arranging your schedule so that you are prioritizing rest so that if you go work out, you have time to rest afterwards. If you go see a client, you have time to rest afterwards, creating spaciousness. And it's really difficult to create spaciousness 
in your schedule if you are living in survival and scarcity, because survival mode is going to tell your nervous system, we need to keep going because if we don't keep going, then we don't make money. And if we don't make money, we don't survive. So it all relates back to this nervous system healing of when we are able to shift out of survival and scarcity mode and into safety, into abundance, into faith, into expansion, we are then able to feel safe to rest. And so yesterday when I was noticing my body was just exhausted, but I also knew that I really wanted to take advantage of the day, you know, my assistant was coming, she was going to be home with the dogs. I was able to leave and just have a day, you know, to get some work done and be out of the house and all of that. And I really wanted to do that. And so it was like, I was battling myself, like, I know I need rest, but also maybe this would help me feel better. And it goes back to what I was saying before is sometimes when we associate sickness with, oh, I get to stay in bed all day. Part of rewiring that and shifting that is saying, okay, what do I actually need so that it doesn't take me out like that? And so for me, I just allowed myself like 30 to 60 minutes of just resting on the couch of feeling the fear that was coming up and co-regulating with my coach and telling her little me is feeling really activated I'm feeling fear. And she's like, what are you feeling fear around? And I just listed every single thought in my brain. I was like, I feel fear that I'm going to die. I feel fear that this sickness is going to get worse. I feel fear that I don't know how to take care of myself. I feel fear that, um, I don't know what my body needs. So I don't know how, how to give it to it. And if I don't give it what it needs and I'm going to get worse and more sick and more sick and more sick. And I'm feeling fear around being alone in the sickness. So the thing about, you know, my childhood leukemia was that I was never really alone. My family was always there with me, but there was this sense of feeling like what I imagine, right? I was so young. I don't know exactly if this is how I felt, but how it's stored in my body is that there was this feeling of isolation. I would go to school and all the other kids were running around like healthy and happy. I would go to my best friend's house every day after school And it was like this sense of normalcy. And so there was this fear of just feeling alone in it, feeling like no one understood how I was feeling, feeling different than all the other kids. And so when this shows up in present day, it's this fear of, you know, I'm alone. I live alone. I don't have a partner. I don't, my family's on the East coast. Like I do have people that I could call if I really needed but it's that younger part of myself that just wants to be held when she's feeling sick. And so learning to hold her and leave space for the fear and the sadness and the loneliness that she feels in those moments allows me to attune to her and allows me to stop seeking external saving. The amount of times that I've been activated and triggered and ungrounded where I'm like, oh, I just want to call, you know, my ex-boyfriend up. I just want to call this person. I just want to call this person. I just want to call my dad crying, like all the ways in which I used to seek external saving. And in that moment, when the urge to do that is so strong, like, oh, I just want someone to hug me and hold me right now. I have to come back to, you want to shift this. You don't want to feel like your safety relies on another person. 
And please don't get me wrong. It is perfectly okay to need a hug, right? Like I don't deprive myself of that. If I need a hug, I'll, you know, go hug my neighbor. I'll go, you know, hug my best friend. It's not that I'm depriving myself of that human need. It's that in those moments when I don't feel safe without another human, that's when it's an opportunity to shift and relate differently and come home to me. So little me is seeking holding and she used to run around, run around, run around, trying to get her needs met, trying to get holding. And now it's me learning to hold me. And in doing so, I'm still able to receive that from other people, but the energy behind it is so different. It's not, oh, I want to hug you because I feel like I'm going to die if I don't. Because again, that places my safety on external things outside of my control, outside of myself. And that's not how I want to live my life. Because if I'm alone and I'm spending time in solitude and I feel that way, I don't want to feel like I constantly have to find someone else to feel safe. I want to feel safe in my own body. I want to feel safe in my own home that I've created in my body. I want to be able to do things in life that may or may not involve other people and not have that be a factor in it. And that's how we build internal safety. And so knowing that feeling alone while feeling sick is a big trigger for her, I have to just allow space to actually feel that fear. And then when I feel it, I'm allowed to come back. I'm able to come back to safety in the present moment and say, okay, my body is worried that this is going to be a repetition of the past, but I can anchor into the present and say, right now I'm 31 years old. I'm in San Diego. I'm in my apartment. I have my fur babies. I have people that are here to support me if I really need them. I'm not two years old in the hospital again. It's different. So coming back into the present and it's about being with the void of the unknown, right? Like I am going to die someday. That is a reality that we all have to face. And when we live our lives fearing death, we deprive ourselves of the ability to truly fully live. Whereas if we are able to be with that fear and kind of normalize, like we're all going to die one day. So how do we want to feel while we're still alive? If I'm meant to die from sickness one day, if I'm meant to die in a car accident one day, if I'm meant to die, you know, um, cause I come into relationship with a tarantula again, like I did in 500 BC in my past life. And it kills me again. That's what's meant to happen, right? I can't control that. For those of you who don't know, I was apparently killed by a tarantula, which is why I have such deep fear in this lifetime around tarantulas. The fact that I can even say tarantulas, oh, it's a big deal. And I uh, should have done a trigger warning for that because you may not enjoy hearing that word either. <laughs> so the point is, is that we can't control that. We cannot control it. And the more that we try to control it or try to know right? We don't know how we're going to die. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. I could be talking to you on this live right now. And like, I could die later tonight. I mean, knock on wood. I don't think I'm ready to go yet. I don't think that's happening yet. But like the reality is that we don't know. We don't know anything. All we know is what we know. And we don't know a lot. <laughs> so everything's energy. Everything's belief and feeling safe enough to actually 
rewire our beliefs. It starts with the nervous system up. It's not mindset down. It's a nervous system body that creates our thoughts. So if I'm walking around every day being like, oh my God, what if I'm killed by a tarantula or a car or a, you know, a sickness or a car accident or a murder or whatever, like I'm subconsciously manifesting that versus oh, I noticed some fear coming up around this. I can be with the fear. I can tend to little me and say, it's okay that you feel scared about this. It makes sense. Your feelings are valid. And let's come back to the present. And let's just take one moment as it comes because future tripping literally does nothing. It does nothing but create rabbit holes in your minds that suck the joy and the mystery and the ability to just be with the unknown magic, because even though the unknown can hold scary things, things that bring up fear, it also can hold the most infinite magic. Like life could get so much better than you even realize. And how cool is that? How cool is it that later tonight I could die or I could win the lottery? right? I could, you know, break my ankle or I could meet the love of my life. Like either one could happen, but you get to choose where to put your focus and your energy. So if I'm going to choose between, you know, (laughs) something bad happening or something magical happening, I'm always going to choose something magical because we are going to die one day. And the reality is that because of my medical trauma, the fact that I'm at 31 years old living and healthy and like creating this dream life, like life beyond my wildest dreams, that is such a gift. It was not a given. There was a point in time where my parents did not think I was going to make it past four and a half years old and I'm 31. How incredible of a gift that is. And so it goes back to how do I want to feel in my life? We are all going to die someday. The more that we accept that, we get to be intentional with how we want to live while we are here. And in order to do that, we can't bypass the trauma. We can't bypass the pain. We can't bypass the fear because bypassing it is not actually serving us. It's just stuffing it further down and down and down. And that's what I used to do when I would start feeling sick. I bypassed the fear to the extent where my body was screaming at me. And I said, fuck you body. I'm not listening. I want to go do this. I want to go do that. I want to go do that. I literally, oh my God, this is such a Rachel story. My 13th birthday, (laughs) because my most recent birthday was on Friday the 13th. So I was reflecting. I may have shared this already, but whatever. I was reflecting on when was the last time I had my birthday on Friday the 13th. It was my 13th birthday. What did I do? I went to go get tips at the nail salon and I had a fever. I was so sick on Friday the 13th on my 13th birthday. I showed up to school. It was pajama day. I wore my pajamas. My friends decorated my locker. The janitor took it down. I was really sad. My friend accidentally cut herself with an exacto knife. Ugh, it was, it was a rough day, but I was like, fuck this. I'm going to the nail salon. <laughs> it's my birthday. I don't want to go home and be sick. I want to go get tips for the first time. I got French tips for the first time. And you guys know I have, pre- I'm very proud of my nail beds. They're, they're very long naturally, but I was 13. You know, the cool thing to do was to get tips. I was getting tips, but I was fully sick. I went into that nail salon 
with a full-blown fever (laughs) because my control was so strong. I was like, it's my 13th birthday. I have to do this thing that I plan to do. And I have to do it regardless of whether I have this fever or not. And so I sat there with chills shivering while the nail lady put French tips on because that was my priority rather than just accepting what is being like, oh, this is shitty. I'm sick on my birthday. Let me go get French tips the next or, you know, when I'm feeling better the next weekend or something. My control was so strong. And this is such a big part of anxious attachment is when things feel out of control when we're younger, because we're not getting the emotional attunement that we need because we're getting inconsistent emotional attunement. This is what I talk a lot about in my relationship with my mom is it was inconsistent. And, and both my parents, right? Like my dad was working a lot. My mom was figuring out her, her relationship with our nanny. Like it was, it was a lot, it was a lot happening. And so it was inconsistent because if our parents are in survival mode and they're figuring out their own shit, they're only human. They're not going to be able to attune to us in every single way that we need. And so with anxious attachment, when those things feel out of control, will I get my needs met? Will I not? Will mom come home tonight? Will she not? Am I going to see dad tonight? I don't know, right? It's unknown. It's inconsistent. And as a child, even though yes, in life, it's important to be with unknown. A child can't do that. A child needs stability. A child needs consistency. A child needs to know that they are safe. And so when we develop that anxious attachment in childhood, that control develops as a protector, a protector against fear, a protector against being with the unknown. And so my controlling anxious attachment was like, you're getting tips. I don't care how sick you are. And I would bypass the fear. I would act like everything was normal because I was so deeply afraid of how sick I would feel. Cause I used to get really sick. Like it wasn't just like a cold. It was like, full-blown high fevers. It was medical mysteries that literally no doctor could figure out. I had a chronic swollen right knee that was treated for Lyme's disease like three times, all for the doctors to tell me that I didn't actually have Lyme's disease. And then I had this mysterious full body rash for eight months. And keep in mind, the leukemia started with a rash. And they were like, oh, this is the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. They wanted me to like get studied at Harvard And I was like, oh, is this going to help, you know, medical research or, you know, will it serve some purpose? And they were like, no, just going to be like a bunch of, you know, interns looking at your rash. I'm like, yeah, that that doesn't really sound fun. (laughs) So it's not that it was like, oh, I'm so afraid of getting some sniffles. It was like my body had an overactive immune system, not even a weakened immune system, like an overactive one. It was overreactive. And so, Now, when it starts with something as small as a sore throat or something as small as fatigue, my body's like, "Uh uh-oh, prepare, right? Like brace yourself. You're about to get real sick. You may or may not need to go to the hospital, right? Like just so, so much trauma around that. And so in healing the anxious attachment in being able to tend to little me when she's feeling that fear come up in being able to release control. And saying, I cannot control what happens, but I can focus on what's in my power. And what's in my power is not bypassing the fear anymore, not running around pretending I'm feeling okay when I'm not. 
And so the interesting thing I just sit with yesterday was that the old me would have, you know, used that maybe as an opportunity to take the day off, to, you know, get attention, to just lay on the couch all day. But sometimes it helps to show your body, and this is where it becomes like an art, a, a uh, balance. Sometimes it's also reparative to show your body that it's safe to just come as you are. It's safe to go about normal day-to-day stuff. And so again, it's a balance because I don't want to do what I did before, which was like run around, run around, run around, not honoring what I needed at all. But I also don't want to be like, oh, I'm feeling tired. Okay. I have to cancel everything. And, and, you know, this is not a drill, like alarms going off, right? Cause that doesn't send safety to my body. So it's this middle ground of really being like, what do I need right now? And so for me yesterday, having that balance of time to rest and then time to go out in the sunshine and be in the ocean or not in the ocean, but like smelling and viewing the ocean and going to the sauna and allowing my body to like kind of sweat out some of those toxins, like that actually did help me feel better. But then when I noticed, okay, I'm feeling really tired again, I need to go home and rest. And so that's what I did. And I allowed space to just feel the fear that then came up again. It came up twice yesterday and all I could do was be with it. Sorry about the parking. Hold on. Okay. There's another dog. So it is a balance. It is an art form. It's this balance of not bypassing the emotion, but not attaching onto it, right? Like I'm feeling fear. So now because of this fear, I'm going to let it drive my behavior and, you know, act like I'm dying when I'm not right. Versus, oh, I'm totally fine. I'm not, I'm not feeling sick at all. It's me honoring exactly what's happening. So in this present moment, I feel a little bit of a sore throat still. I feel a little bit tired still. I'm honoring that. I'm taking it slow today. I'm going to make sure that I have space in my schedule to rest. And I'm still showing up for this live, for this podcast, for my client later, for a tea date I have with my friend, because I'm safe to show up. I'm safe to show my body that it's okay not to feel 100% and to listen to it when it needs to rest and listen to it when it wants to show up and talk about this stuff because it's so important. Our medical trauma wrapped up with our anxious attachment or our inability to rest, our inability to feel safe to rest. It's everything. Creating safe space to rest literally will change your life because it allows you to be a true leader of your life, of your business, of you know your relationship with yourself and others. It allows you to listen to your body when, you know, your body's communicating to you. And that is such a valuable gift. So takeaways, summary of all of this, your anxious attachment is behind everything. Or if you're listening to this and you don't have anxious attachment, whatever your attachment wounding is, it is subtly driving your life. And so unless you do the healing work to build secure attachment and to heal the attachment wounding little you will run the show and little you is very sneaky and there's no shame around that 
It's just little you knows how to get their needs met, which is brilliant. And we want to show them a new way. We want to show them a new, more adaptive way that's going to help serve them. So whether you are listening to this on the live or the podcast, thank you for tuning in. I love you so much and always take time to feel it, to heal it and to come home to yourself. Love you all so much. Have a beautiful day.